from the prophet Isaiah, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. How y'all doing? Eagles play today. Oh, I'm not in Pennsylvania anymore. I forgot about that. Um, Here's a question for you this morning. I want to look at it from a couple of different angles. It's a question that goes like this. Um, What does it mean to be free? Because freedom is one of those universal human needs. Actually, I would submit to you, freedom is a universal human expectation to be let go from things which bind us. But what does it mean to really be free? Jim Morrison, lead singer of The Doors, which I'm not a big fan of, but he once said that freedom is being who you truly are. Well, if you're a drug addict, that's not such always a good thing, is it? Um, But today I want to look at the idea of freedom, not according to Jim Morrison, but according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Real freedom, the stuff that you and I and all humanity is really fundamentally at our core after and most people never find. And I'm going to look at this idea of freedom in the context this morning, friends, of Jesus' baptism, his inaugural act. The first thing he does is to be baptized, and then he launches into his earthly ministry. And I'm going to submit to you today that his baptism is the beginning of the process of his offer, Jesus' offer, of freedom. So we're going to dive on that today, dive into that, the idea of freedom with three points. I'm going to look at John's question, John the Baptist's question, Jesus' answer, which is profound, and the freedom of the gospel. So John's question, Jesus' answer, and the freedom that the gospel gives to us. So, you ready for some freedom? (laughs) Come on, are you ready for some freedom? (laughs) Okay, now... This idea of freedom comes along right after, immediately after John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness, he's preaching, people are coming from all around, and John in his welcoming, friendly, seeker-friendly tome says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? If you want to check it out, I preached on that very text on December the 16th. Um, It's on YouTube or on our podcast. But John is out in the, in, outside Jerusalem preaching, you brood of vipers, and the people are just coming. He's killing it. And the reason is because he is telling them that the problem with their lives, the reason that they lack freedom, is that they are a brood of vipers. What does that mean? Again, check it out on December 16th. But in a nutshell, it means you are all descended from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. In other words, you're fallen sinners. A brood of vipers are children of the fall. And so what John is saying is the condition of your heart is that you are all fallen. So John is out in the wilderness, and he's telling everybody, um, you're, you're a brood. he's diagnosing the condition of their discontent, you brood of vipers. And then Jesus comes along and asks John to baptize him. Now, one thing you need to be aware is John, Jesus is baptized baptism is recorded in Luke's gospel, which we read this morning, but it's also in Matthew's gospel. And Matthew gives us some more information that I'm going to borrow from this morning. Because Jesus goes to John and, John, and says, Jesus, Jesus says, John, I need to be baptized by you. And John, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, 
He's totally smoked. What do you mean, Jesus? He's confused. And he says, listen to this. John the Baptist says to Jesus, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Remember, John the Baptist is a prophet. John the Baptist knows Jesus' true identity. John the Baptist knows that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. John knows who he is. In John's gospel, when Jesus shows up, John says this very thing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John knows that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. And yet Jesus says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, what do you mean? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? You see my point? So John is confused. And if you're confused about Jesus' baptism, you're in good company. Because John the Baptist was too. Jesus says something absolutely profound, which I'm going to dial in on in a moment. He says, John, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. Dude, just do it. Here's why. For thus it is, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness, all of it. John, you need to baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But John is confused, and lots of people are confused about why Jesus is being baptized. But here's part of the reason. John is, ba- John is confused for a different reason than you are. See, John, the ba- you, you and I, if you're a Christian, many of you are, most of you are, you were baptized at one point. Somebody either took you and dunked you in a pool or dunked you in a tank at a Baptist church or took you out in the ocean and dunked you underwater or if you're an Episcopalian, they sprinkled water on your head. You've seen me do it in this very building. And a priest or a pastor or even a non-Christian can baptize, says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You've seen that, right? That's a Christian baptism. That is not what John is offering. John says, Jesus, what John is doing, and this doesn't answer the question yet, but just stay with me. Jesus is not asking to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is asking for is a baptism of, listen, a baptism of repentance. What does that mean? Well, a baptism of repentance, which is what all these people are doing in the Jordan River. A baptism of repentance is they come out. John says, here's the problem. You are a brood of vipers. You are sinners, and you can't save yourself. And then he puts them underwater, and they they come out. They confess their sins. They admit the brokenness in their lives. They admit where they've made a mistake, and they say they intend to lead different lives, and John baptizes them. That's a baptism of repentance. To admit brokenness, to admit that you're a fallen and you can't get up. (laughs) Remember those commercials? And you you pledge to lead a new life. Now, you know, a lot of people hear that word repentance, and they kind of roll their eyes. Maybe you, in your mind, you're not doing it because I don't see any of you doing it, but maybe part of you and your spirit kind of rolls your eyes a little bit. Well, hang on a minute, because everybody does it. Everybody does it. Here's what I mean. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? A few? Sharon did. Yay, Sharon. Uh, I did too, and my wife always teases me because I make the same resolution every year. And the reason is because I never keep it. (laughs) Lose weight, go to church every Sunday as God demands, tithe, be nicer to people, drink less, smoke less, pray more, whatever, man. I hope you've got something. But the point I want, whatever your New Year's resolution is, what I want you to see is something very profound. And it is universal to the human existential condition. And that's this. We all repent, even non-believers. 
They may roll their eyes, but they all do it. Even non-believers say, repent, yeah, right, but they've got, they're at orange theory, right? Working out, trying to lose weight. Here's what I want you to see, which is very important, very important. Every human being, Christian or not, we know deep down inside, we know it, you know it, so do I, that no matter how good we try, we fail. We all know that we, no matter how hard we try, we fail, that we are burdened, that we are not free. That we could, listen, that we could and we should be better, right? That's where the New Year's resolution comes from. In fact, I was getting my hair cut on Friday, and the barber uh, said that January the 11th, which is Friday, is the day when most people actually fail on their New Year's resolution, 11 days in. So if, you're still, if you still got it, hats off to you. Good job. But what I'm, trying, what I'm driving at, and this is really important to see, because it makes Christianity so visceral and real and true, everybody does it. Everybody knows that they're fallen and they can't get up. Everybody knows there's parts of their lives they should be doing better. Everybody, friends, repents. The word repent is so important. The, Greek, the problem with the word repent is it sounds like this. Repent! It doesn't mean that, actually. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to change direction. It means to make a New Year's resolution. It means to realize there's something wrong in your life and something needs to be done to fix it. You with me? So that's what people are doing out on the Jordan River, and that's what Jesus goes to have done to him, which I hope, if you're with me, you see a great big problem. <laughs> this is why John is so confused. Because John knows that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. John is a prophet. He knows through the Holy Spirit who and what Jesus is. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, a man without defect or character, in character or morals. So here's the question. This is my first point. This is John's question. Jesus, what in the world are you repenting of? Do you see his confusion? That's my second point. Look at what Jesus answers. This will blow your mind. Jesus' answer, it's the first thing he says in Luke's gospel, actually. The first words out of Jesus' mouth are this. John, let it be so now. Sorry, in Matthew's gospel. Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way, for him to be baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. So what does that mean? Righteousness means living rightly. See, what Jesus is doing in his repentance is he's not repenting for his sins. He's repenting for your sins. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus is not repenting for his sins. He doesn't have any. He's repenting for mine, which are legion, and yours. The reason Jesus is baptized, friends, is to, is to take your guilt, your shame, your worry, your brokenness, to take it from you and give you freedom the Son of God humbles himself and assumes our sins onto his sinless body. He represents us before God. He repents in your place. That is what Jesus is doing at his baptism, is identifying, listen to this, it's so profound, identifying with you individually, personally, intimately, not in your success. He's God. He's identifying you with you in your failure. 
And the reason he does that, the God of grace and God of glory, the reason he does that is to set you free. And I want to dial in on that for a moment. I want you to ima- imagine something. Imagine a world in which you, you were truly free. And I don't mean like, at a, you know, imagine all the people, you know, Beatles music. I want you to think about something because you all want it. You all crave it. Every human wants freedom. Imagine a world where you really were free. What do I mean by that? Well, let me say it like this. Everybody in this room, including me, has a past. Your past, the series of things that have happened to you, good and bad, just and evil, love and betrayal, the things in your past, the things in your life, they control you, they enslave you, they restrict your freedom. We are all in some way, friends, I submit, slaves to our past. You are today largely a result of your experiences. Genetics, yeah, a little bit, but mostly it's learned. Any psychologist will tell you. The poor choices you've made and the poor choices other people have made that have affected you. What if you could have freedom from that? What if you could have real freedom? See, as a Christian, as a Christian, Jesus Christ has taken those sins from you. The stupid decisions you made in the past, God knows I have. The dumb things you've done and said, the things you did out of neglect or intentionally, the sins you've committed that hurt you and those around you, Jesus takes those on himself. Bring it. I got this. Let me ask you, where, and there's a lot here, just think of one thing. Where, where are you controlled by your past? You know, so many people harbor guilt, shame, anger, resentment, what if. They lead lives of self-doubt and regret. We even say this, man, that dude's stuck in the past. Look, as a Christian, here's the thing, man. Jesus is, he's taken that from you. And the only reason you don't feel that is because you've not actually given it to him. You hang on to it. We all do this. The Christian life is all about, friends, recognizing that Jesus has taken that sin from you and actually learning to live like it. That's the Christian walk. But what about the sins people have committed against you? How does Jesus free us from those? I'll tell you, this is the one that really I wrestled with when I was a younger man. Um, Because you can only forgive someone if you realize that you are first forgiven. When I was was younger, I I really, really wrestled with this because to me, forgiveness was, I'll be blunt here, forgiveness was just weak. Forgiveness was a, a decision to be a doormat. Forgiveness was, oh, let's just pretend nothing happened. Let's go along like everything's just great. That is not forgiveness, man. Forgiveness, in my mind, as a younger man, forgiveness was kind of like that scene in Animal House, you know? Whack! Thank you, sir. Might I have another? Do you know that? Never mind. All right. (laughs) You don't know that? Anyway, all right. Maybe we'll move on from that one. But when you forgive someone, you do it. But I, I, see, I had completely, I'd completely missed the point about forgiveness, and a lot of you do too. When you forgive someone, you do it because you're not a judge of that person. God is. 
And I realize when I'm holding on to something, someone who's wronged me and not forgiving them, what I'm really doing is trying to play God. I'm lacking humility. Forgiveness of yourself, which is hard enough, and, for, and forgiveness of others far from being weak. Forgiveness is an act of courage and strength and, quite frankly, humility. And the reason it's so important is because when you forgive yourself and you forgive those who have wronged you, it actually, because of Jesus, it, it sets you free. Free from your past, free from your sins, and free from the sins that have been committed against you. So here's a question for you, pastoral one. Where in your heart do you need to forgive? We've all got it, man. It's part of the Christian walk. Where in your heart do you need to forgive? Where do you need to really get your mind around the fact that Jesus actually has taken your sin from you? Where do you need to accept that Jesus has, has taken that sin from you? And I'll submit this to you. Somebody who's wronged you, if they're a Christian, Jesus has taken their sin too. How dare you presume to judge that person? If they're not a Christian, they'll pay for, them, for that themselves in hell. Friends, Jesus' baptism, his inaugural act, it's the first thing he does. And the reason it is, it's the very heart of the gospel. That we are made right with God, not by what we do, not by being a nice guy or anything else, but by faith in Jesus Christ who takes our sins upon himself and died to pay for them on Good Friday and then set me and you free. My brothers and sisters, this church... This church, our primary reason for existing, our, our only reason for existing, frankly, is the proclamation of that good news, the proclamation of the freedom that Jesus gives. The primary reason, the only reason we exist is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus offers freedom that everybody is seeking and few people find, seeking freedom from the brokenness of our lives and from the brokenness of people have done to us. Our mission our mission as a church, our reason for being here today is to be stewards of that good news, the gospel. Messengers, witnesses of changed lives. Of the life-changing message that peace with God is not something we earn and not something we deserve, but rather is a free gift from God through Jesus Christ and all who trust in him to take his sins from us. Friends, Trinity Episcopal Church, we are not a charity. We are not a social service organization with a big cross on top. We are not an advocacy group for manatees or Republicans or Democrats or whatever. Trinity Church is the family of God. Trinity Episcopal Church is a community of people being saved by Jesus and literally being set free by him. And our job and our mission, and it's the most important mission in the entire planet, is to then go out and testify to those you know that Jesus has the answer to what they're seeking. We are called to testify to a broken and fallen world to come and see how Jesus changed my life for good, how Jesus has set me and is setting me free, and how Jesus can set you free. Shall we pray? Father, we come before you today as people seeking freedom. We thank you for Jesus who repents in our place 
and who died for our sins, our pasts, our mistakes, and for those that have been committed against us. Help us to live lives of victory, knowing that Jesus saves and Jesus frees. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.